Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Um, a man dies and he goes to heaven, and St. Peter's meets him at the pearly gates, and he says, here's how this works. You need 100 points to get into heaven. You tell me the good things you did, I'll give you the points, and we'll decide on how, whether you can come in, but you need 100 points. Oh, the man said, oh, that's easy. He goes, okay, what's your points? What did you do that was good? He said, I was married to the same woman for 50 years, and I never even cheated on her once. Okay, that's good. That's two points. Two points? <laughs> well, how about this? I attended church all my life. I supported the ministries. I tithed my whole life in service. That's really terrific, Peter said. That's worth one point. One point? Well, how about this? I started a soup kitchen. I fed the homeless. I took care of the, all the homeless veterans. Wow, that's fantastic. Two more points. Two points? The man was exasperated. He turned to Peter and says, you know what, Peter? At this rate, I'll only get into heaven by the grace of God. Amen. Bingo. 100 points. Come on in. Isn't that good? That was good, Mike. I, I like this one. Now, if you were here last Sunday, we had a lot going on, and uh, we had things we talked about. This, this will read, to, I think, to you. There was a Baptist preacher and his wife, and they decided they needed to get a dog. They were ever mindful that they needed a dog that was truly in their faith, following what they would do and so they visited kennel after kennel, researched and searched. They finally came to it. She says, this dog has been trained, and you're going to love how he responds to things of faith. He goes, yeah, well, let me, let me see that. He goes, watch this. Turns to me, dog, go fetch the Bible. He goes over, looks at the shelf, pulls the Bible off in his teeth, brings it over, sets the Bible down. He goes, wife looks at the Baptist pastor, goes, whoa. He goes, can he, can he turn to script? Yes. Turn to Psalm 23, takes his paw, opens to Psalm 23, touches it, goes, okay, we got it, we got it, we want this dog, that's our dog, right? So they're like, we got this dog, and they get their home group together, and they say, you ought to see our dog, and the pastor's a little prideful of the dog, and says, watch this, go get the Bible, fetches the Bible, brings it to him, go ahead, name a scripture. Sure enough, they call out scriptures, dog opens the Bible, puts his paw on it, he goes, so one of the guys is in the group. He goes, yeah, but that's great. But can he do regular things like other dogs can do? He goes, huh. Well, I'm probably. He goes, tell you what. Um, let's see. Heal. The dog jumps up, comes over to the pastor, puts his paw on his head, and says, oh, my gosh, he's a Pentecostal. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Come on, hand for Mike. <laughs> hey. All right. Praise God. Let's, uh, I need my Bible. Praise the Lord. Woo-hoo. Oh, Lord. My mama loves her dog. She's a, hallelujah. Okay. Jesus, we ask you to release wisdom and revelation in your word so that we're equipped in all the promises of God. We thank you, Father, that your word is full of living power. In Hebrews 4.12, we know you said that it's a two-edged sword and it's able to cut between the soul and the spirit. 
So, Lord, we ask now for the revelation. Your Word would become active right now, and it would, we would be imparted with wisdom and revelation that would cause us to walk uprightly before You, to see things from the perspective, because we know the Word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So, Lord, we ask that the Word would be heard this morning and that faith would come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you'll look at your handout, if you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll get you some, uh, someone that doesn't have one. Uh, let's see. Okay, thank you, James. Um, we spent about three weeks uh, looking into faith, quantum faith, quantum mechanics, and we unpacked how science was starting to reveal what was already in the Scriptures. I love that, right? It's like the more and more they find, uh, I get these things sent to me from some of you all, the, the archaeological finds that they are, they, they've, they discovered that what's in the Bible is real. <laughs> when they dig up something that they can't even uh, have history of and yet they find it, then they find the inscription in the archaeological dig and they said, oh, that's here. And it's, if you ever go to uh, Israel, which is an amazing place, I encourage you to go, uh, in, the, in, the, in the museum of the book, they have all these places of the foundational Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in 1948 that proved what was in the Scriptures is in the Scriptures, and it wasn't rewritten after the fact, right? They found that from the Essenes that hid it in the, in the place in the desert when the Romans came to smash Jerusalem in the 70 A.D. time frame. The Essenes took all the scrolls, and they buried them in the caves at Corum, and uh, a Bedouin boy came and discovered them in 1948. Then they assembled all these scholars, Hebrews, Christian, all had to be a group that could then decipher all of that which they found. Multiple books of, of Matthew, all the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. I've asked my Jewish friends, so if that's in the book, <laughs> how do you do, what do you say about Christ, the crucified one, who took all of our sins? Well, yeah, He's coming. I said, well, no, He's come. Okay. And so, I love the fact that there's this revelation of Scripture that is being validated in science. I've had doctors come up to me. Remember we said, ask a cardiologist where the heart, your electric signal comes to your heart. They can't tell you where it comes from. And I said, well, then go talk to uh, the brainiacs about the brain people. How do you lose consciousness, go to sleep, wake up, and know who you are? Explain consciousness and subconsciousness. They can't explain it to you. And so, hmm. And so, when we, when our doctor, uh, Tony, came, I think I shared with this a couple of weeks ago, he said when I was 22 in Bible, in uh, studying to be a doctor, and we got to, into physiology, and I studied the human body, he said, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. 60,000 miles of blood vessels and capillaries, thousands of gallons being pumped to all areas of the brain. There's no, there has, it has to have been designed by a super God, and he got saved. And so, when we look at all that, we, we recognize science is validating now what we now have already starting to discover. So, we want to go deeper in faith this morning. I love what Bishop's preaching on, on uh, Wednesdays about prophecy and the prophetic and uh, how it ties in with, with all Scriptures and hearing the voice of God. So, this morning, I titled the message, Faith Looks Like Something. So, what does faith look like to you? Right there. How many months you've been believing for God to heal you? 
14 months after an injury, couldn't raise her, and look at that, did not go, praise God, right? Now, some of you say, well, we like it when it's instantaneous. I remember, um, I think it was Bert Gallagher. Didn't we? I prayed for Bert Gallagher. He's now, I think, in Arizona. But Bert was going to go. And Bill Trogdon, he's on, probably online. Hey, Bill. Um, rotator cup issues, right? Going for surgery. Pray for them, and they don't need the surgery. And so this is the, I, we like the, come on, do it, Lord, right now. But how, 14 months. And that journey has been impactful. Yeah, and so sometimes it's instantaneous, and sometimes we pray and we press in. So faith looks like something. That'd be a good thing this week. What does it look like to you? We're going to unpack some of this as we go forward. But um, what's the definition, the biblical definition of faith out of Hebrews 11.1? Faith is the the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is a the substance. It's not a substance. It's the substance. We looked at quantum faith, and my folks, a lot of folks said, Pastor, please, that nuclear science stuff. But we, 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 when the brainiacs are coming in saying quantum faith, quantum mechanics, quantum physics is validating that when you look at it and believe it, that thing becomes reality. It pulls it from that which is a possibility into what is now a reality calling those things that be not as though they were, Romans 4, 17. So this is this place where the biblical definition, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen yet. <laughs> That's mine. Now, the, the, dic the dictionary definition is this. The, biblical, the, the dictionary definition of faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Strong belief in God and the doctrines based on, they can complicate everything, based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. I disagree with that, but all right. I can understand that is complete trust and confidence in the someone, Jesus, right? So I want to do something different this morning. We are going to be part of a investigative team, okay, we are going to, I need faith detectives. Who likes to be a detective? Some of you got to be faith detectives. Raise them high. Don't be, I'm not going to set you up, I promise. But, all right, so we got some faith detectives. We also need some faith scientists, those who will go look at evidence. And so how many want to be a scientist? How many don't want to do any of this? <laughs> You're breaking my heart here. Okay, well, at least we got four and four, so we'll be all right. And so, so we're, we've, uh, we've had an allegation. There was a fig tree farmer who has filed a complaint that his fig tree was dried up at the roots. He's filed a complaint that his fig tree was ruined and dried up at the roots, and there were people seen at the scene. So we're going to be the FSI team. You guys, I, you, some watch this CSI stuff, right? Criminal scene investigation. I don't like that stuff. So, but we're going to be the, the faith scene investigators. So, you are the FSI team, okay? We got to find the, we got to find the evidence. 
Some of it that you can't see. Like when they do DNA testing, you can't, oh, look at that DNA. No, you gotta, you got to go and go from the unseen by the natural eye down into the supernatural. you got to go into the super telescope, microscope investigation, right? So, we're going to go find faith because faith looks like something, right? Where is the evidence that this faith, can you measure faith? Remember what he said? Measure your faith. Remember he said this in, uh, in Romans. He said, measure your faith based on what you do. James said it too. I'll show you some faith. Watch what I do. Now, it's not just what you do because that we know that it's not by works that any man is saved, right? Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. It's by grace that you've been saved. That's why Peter let him in. <laughs> grace, you'd be saved, Right? Not by works, lest any man should boast. But there ought to be, once you say you believe, you have faith, there needs to be some evidence. How about in Mark 16? These signs shall follow them that believe. Number one, they'll cast out demons in my name. Oh, now, Pastor, you just got off the book a little. No, it's in the book. If you believe, cast out demons in my name. You'll be able to drink deadly things without harm. Some translations say handle deadly things without harm. You'll be able to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. When I read that years ago, I said, man, oh, man, I, I, uh, I believe, but I don't see a lot of that happen in my life. That's when I started going to missions, and then it all got fixed for me. So we thank you, Lord, that there's this, can you measure faith? Well, what affects faith? We know that you, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. That's why if you're not in the Word, you're not sitting. Remember, I brought out all the statistics. People who have sat in church the last seven months, they are not as depressed. There's less suicide, right? There, there's this place. And those who speak in tongues and those who are, their brains are different. And guess what? They live between 4.5 to 9.7 years longer than those who don't believe. What is that? Because what happens is, in the quantum mechanics of your brain, you sit in and we sing, you're good, you're awesome, we love you, we love you, and all of a sudden you're in an atmosphere, and guess what's happening? Your cellular structure is being modified and made healthy. That's the facts. That's what the brainiacs are factually telling us. So this is what, when we start to say, well, so faith can be measured, but it can also be blocked. And we looked at that out of Mark 11. We spent a couple of weeks out of Mark 11, so if faith is this, the substance, the confidence, what is it when we know it's what we hope for? Well, let me, let me do this. When you have something you're hoping for, that means you haven't got it yet, right? Because once you get it, I mean, a while back, I, 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 took, I hunt with these guys. Oh, my gosh. They are the definition of, I'll just leave it there. But um, I showed up with my, my new SUV, that I had rented, and uh, they looked at me, and you could hear, they were like, <laughs> and we went back in the woods, and there's places there are only four-wheel drive, so I decided if I'm going to be part of this hunting club, that I need to, you know, I need to look the part, and so I went out and got me my 2008, over 220,000 miles on my Toyota four-wheel drive truck with a big bang on the side, and I put another bang in it, and then fixed it, and banged it again, and now it like fits. I mean, I've got spray paint on it, and it does match. <laughs> I'm in. Okay, I'm in. And so, but I no longer hope for my truck because I have it. I was hoping for it. I drove all around looking at this, trying out this one, praying about it. I need one. 
Anyway, and so let me use this example. My four grandkids, Laura's and Juan's children, they're, they're ama- they, they teach us so much. And we were reflecting even when our four were on the farm back in New York a um, hundred years ago. And uh, they were growing up, and Laura was the littlest one. And now they come, and they're like, they know that if they tell mom and dad something they're hoping for, or if they tell grandma and grandpa, especially grandma, forget it, hold on to your credit card. And so they tell grandma something, and so they're all, they're all different, right? Um, Elijah wanted to get a fly rod. Now, I fish, but I, I don't know much about f- fly fishing or any of that. He researched this, and he watched all the movies. He was, tie- he was cutting up hair things out of our, and he's making flies, and he's tying flies, and he's watching the video. He goes, I want a fly rod. And like, so he made known his request. He was hoping for, and he went to the source of power that could provide for him because he knows who, who, yeah. And so, don't go to Sportsman's Warehouse with him because, oh my Lord. And then Gabriel, Gabriel loves lures. He was even telling me the other day, Papa, I'm making lures. I go, okay. And he's got traps set. He's got lures. And he goes, goes, Papa, can I go in your tackle box? And my tackle box, he's in there. And then then little Annabelle, she's three and a half. She wants a unicorn. Well, how do you find a unicorn? (laughs) Well, Grandma found a unicorn. Um, We got unicorn chairs. They're a pink thing that she pulls out, and the unicorn thing sticks out. And then she's got a unicorn rider horse right at the house, and she's got dolls. Man, unicorns. And then little one-year-old Rosalie, she just takes everything her kids, her brother and sisters have. She'll just take whatever she wants. And so what's the point? They had understanding that if they were to ask the sources of who has the power and the resources, they don't worry about it. What's a credit card? I'll just go tell Grandma. She'll get it, right? And so there's this thing of they hoped for it, and they were delivered, right? And so that... This is the picture. That's why he said, you better become like little children or you're not even going to get in. That's what he said. He, when they're all prideful and arrogant, get those kids out of here bothering us. That's why we have them here in our worship. I like to study them. Puts, Jesus puts them right there and says, you better become like them. Because you tell them something or they, they believe it, right? So we got to be real careful what they're exposed to and what we tell them. And that's why we need to train up a child in the way she, they should go. And so... So anyway, this is this place where um, the, the parallels of this are we need to understand that he is the, he's a good father. He's a good, good father. And those who come to him in faith and in truth. And so we need to, let's, let's open to Mark 11. We'll make this a legal meeting. Open to Mark 11. And we'll look at verse 22. This is, again, the investigation, the, the poor fig tree farmer. He has his tree cursed, and he wanted to know who did it. I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating here. You know that, right? Well, so verse 12, Mark 11:12. the next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, noticed a fig tree in full leaf away off, went to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May you never eat fruit, no, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. 
and they go to Jerusalem. He flips over the tables, has an amazing day in church, and uh, deals with verse 20. The next morning they passed by the fig tree he had cursed. The disciples noticed it had withered up from the roots. Peter remembered what had been said that Jesus said the previous day and exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And then he gives multiple, these are really important, and they're parallels. We looked at Luke 17 a couple of weeks ago in parallel with this. But it says, he says to the disciples, number one, have faith in God. My grandkids have faith in mom and dad and in grandma and grandpa. If they make a request known that's reasonable, they probably are going to get it. They may have to wait for it, Christmas, birthday, something like But it's probably coming if it's helpful. And so, they look and says, have faith in whom? God. That's because faith is the substance that connects us to the source of the one who is. The I am that I am, right? But then he goes on and he gives several examples. We looked at four or five that are enhancers and those that are not. First it says, say to the mountain. Remember, speak it out. We spent a whole three pages of several weeks looking at what is your voice and what's in your mouth. Out of your heart, your mouth speaks. And the words you speak will bring life or death. They'll bring curses or blessings. Be careful what you say. Analyze what's in your heart before it slips out, right? So there was, he said this. And then you must really believe when you pray and not doubt. This is where the, even the grandchildren, they make known, they state it. This is the desire. I'm believing that I need this and want this. And so they say it. They pray about it, right? And then it says, if you believe you have what you pray, you will receive it. But then he gives conditionality. But when you're praying, first forgive. And if you're holding a grudge from anyone in heaven, then your Father will forgive your sins also. Whoa, wait a minute. You forgive the offender and you get your sins forgiven? Huh. Now, we just did communion. Confess with your mouth, right? I confess my sins. He's faithful to forgive me from all unrighteousness. But there's something in the connection to forgiving the offense of someone while you're praying against your mountain. We're not throwing mountains or we're not throwing trees around, right? We said we're not going to, I'm sure God doesn't want His mountains moved around. But it's an example of a hindering thing that's in front of you that seems impossible to move. It's an impossibility. And He's saying, speak to it. I know I'm, re I'm re repeating some things here, but I want us to get anchored in the place where, but there's also something that we didn't cover as deeply as I want to now. There's something about forgiving offense and forgiveness of sin that is linked in the moving of the mountain out of the way. Right? So we've been in places, in many places, many of you have been with us where we've seen the blind eyes open, the tumors disappear, the lame walk, right? We've seen that happen. We've seen the bones go straight. We've seen the goiters disappear in front of Those things happen. You can't unsee them. It happened. And I have faith in Jesus when we pray that those things will occur again. But there are conditionalities associated with that. We'll see that sometimes it is the people's faith who brought the individual. Sometimes it's the individual's faith. Remember the Scripture there we looked at in Mark chapter 5, the woman with the issue of blood. Remember this one? Shake your head and say yes if you remember. Okay, so the woman with the issue of blood, she comes, right? She spent 12 years and all of her money. There's no indication that she's angry at the doctors. 
Scripture doesn't say that. She doesn't say she's offended with the doctors, but she doesn't have any money left, so she's at the end of her natural abilities. So what is she? She had heard about Jesus. She heard what he was doing because faith comes by hearing, right? The word Jesus. So she heard about him, and she says to herself, if I can just touch his hem, I will be healed. You get the whole picture again. There's Mark 11 in fullness. We don't see any offense. And it says, and, it's, and it's, so she goes, and you know what happens. Jesus says, virtue left me. I sense something left me. Power surged out of him. He turns around, and we looked at the law of faith. Remember Romans 3? There is a law of faith, just like the law that's in that electric socket. Go stick your tongue in it, and you'll find out. You'll get a shocking event that electricity flows to ground. Whether you like it or not or believe it or not, it's the way it's been set up. And there's a law of faith that operates similarly. And that woman got in touch. And when he touched the hem, virtue left, left Jesus. He turns around in the crowd, someone touched me, right? All the disciples said, come on, boss, man, this is like, there's a lot of people. To, no, 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 no. There's someone who really touched me. Touched me in faith. There's a difference. People can sit in a... I've been in places where one's thinking about lunch and the other one is over here thinking about salvation and kingdom and gets healed. You can be in the same environment. It's like, come on, God. So this one touched him. Faith flows and she's healed. And And he says, woman, your faith has made you well. Right? All right. Now let's look at another example. So this is the place where... Let's turn to Mark. Turn to your handout. That would be great. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. The top of your outline here, faith looks like something. The only thing that really matters is faith expressing itself through love. So this is a critical point. Remember in the love chapter, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. So he goes on in that chapter, he says, you do all these things, you want to do all your actions, if you have not love, it doesn't count for anything. So faith has to be connected with love. And so I I love this example in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, we'll just read it, I've captionized it here, it says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. I want you to know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he grew up as a boy in Nazareth, He's the Nazarite, but when he started his ministry, he made Capernaum, and we've been there. It's on this north shore of Galilee. It's a beautiful, it's not a thriving village, but it's there. Peter's house is there. It's believed to be there. There's a church there now. I think it's a Coptic church. There's a, this is that place where Jesus made his ministry home in Capernaum. He was there and back and forth. In fact, we find out that Peter, James, Andrew, and John, all fishermen, we're fishing in the Galilee. The Galilee, my wife loves that area of the Galilee. We, we were in a kibbutz there. You could just sit there and it's like, oh, man. And so it's also where Matthew the tax collector was from. So five of the disciples were in Capernaum. It's where Jesus goes to um, Peter's house where the mother-in-law has a high fever. And it's that place when, when Bishop shared that Wednesday night. That's the place where Peter's house was. And his mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus heals her, and she gets up and cooks a meal. So Jesus was known in Capernaum. He spent lots of time in Capernaum. 
That's why he calls it his home. He returns home. And he did a lot of miracles there. And that's where he, he turned to the four f- fishermen, Peter, James, John, Andrew, says, drop your nets, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately drop their nets and follow him. Later, the tax collector, Matthew, he, he repents, right? Says, I'm going to give back everything four times. I'll, give, I'll, I'll return it. And so we see that Capernaum was touched by Jesus. Jesus spent time there. That's going to matter later because we're going to look at the core of the difference between that and Nazareth. And so when we look at this, it says, Jesus comes, goes on his mission trip, comes back to his home. While he's preaching there at the top middle of that paragraph at the top there, while he's preaching God's word, four men arrive carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole in the roof and they lowered him... <laughs> They dug this hole in the roof above his head. They lowered the man down right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Now, hello, let's, let's unpack this. We spent $95,000 putting this roof on here a couple of years ago. If somebody started here, and they start lowering... My first impression is, go call the cops. Those guys are wrecking our roof. <laughs> but that's why I'm not Jesus, right? And so, yeah, I want to be like him. But so, Jesus seeing their faith. Whose faith? The four guys. There's no indication the paralyzed man had any faith. There's actually two levels I've listed here of faith. One, there's so many people in Capernaum coming to see Jesus, they can't even get in the church, the house. So the people, the level of faith in the room, expecting, if you read up before that in Matthew 1 and 2, you'll see that there was all of this. He he healed a paralyzed man before he went on his mission trip, comes back. They had already heard about Jesus. They're all, he's back and they all come to the place where that's where Jesus is, that's where we're going, and they're in the house, and they can't, you can't even get in. That was a place in Brazil on my first mission trip to Brazil, Agua Viva, the Water of Life Church, 300 members, so packed. There were people outside the windows singing, and I walked in that place, and they had to make room with us. They excused people out, because we're the ministry team with Randy, eight people from this church, Randy Clark, and Tom Rotolo and uh, Jamie Galloway, we go in, there's only 11 of us on the mission team, and we're so green, <laughs> hello, we get in this place, and the Spirit of God is just, the worship, I'm like, the, we are, we're in the presence of Jehovah, and miracles start out. I had my first really major word of knowledge, and you know the story if you read the book, so, read my book, so that... I want to, there's two levels of faith. There's a large number of people that are believing, but the four guys who cut holes in the roof. Jesus seeing their faith. See, faith looks like something. You'll know it when the crowd starts showing up with an expectation. Or they'll come to you and with an expectation. You're one of them, aren't you? Bishop says, I don't know, I think I counted 50 someone maybe. 50 times says, Talk to him. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Talk to him. Talk to him. I think the message is talk to him, right? If, if he's the word of God, he has something to say. And if you are the sheep, you hear his voice, right? 
So position ourselves in a way that we hear Him and then do so. When that happens, faith starts to look like something. People will say, you're different. You're not a, you're, you don't seem to be afraid, right? It's not just Psalm 91 promise. It's like I've heard the voice of God. I, he's told me specifically what to do today. And so when we start operating like that, faith starts to look like something. All right, let me, let me move quickly through this. Faith expressing itself in love, Galatians 5, 6, number two on your outline. The difference between Capernaum and Nazareth, if you read Mark 1, you'll see Jesus was there. They, had, they understood that this man has the ability to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And therefore, by their experience, if you've got something, they've, they've told people from the countryside, they're coming. There, it was only 1,500 people estimated to live in that town at that time. They came from all over the place. That's why when they went out into the wilderness, he, he had to feed probably 10,000, 5,000 men plus children and women, probably 10,000 in the multiplication of the fish and the loaves, 10,000. So that village swelled because all the, he's here. Go get, you're sick, you're demonized, go find him because faith looks like something and it's in that man. That will, that, getting electrocuted right now. And so, Faith expressing itself in love. The difference with Nazareth, see, in Nazareth, he hadn't started ministry yet. He was making furniture. He was a carpenter, right? So at that point, he's just the carpenter's son. You go read that in Matthew, in Mark chapter 6. When he leaves after doing miracles in Mark 5 with the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead, the demonized man with over 6,000 demons cast out of him. The regional spirits cast out. And then he goes to the next village where he grew up, and they said, he speaks with authority. Who is this guy? Isn't that the carpenter? They're so familiar with the natural, they can't see. And what happens, it says, the Son of God could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. You see why we're so desiring that people of faith operate in this house because we want to see the blind sick. We want to see the cancers. Just, we want to see the lame walk. We want, so it's like we, we got to continue to press in and believe what God said because that's the difference between Nazareth and Capernaum. But then there's a warning, and this is a warning we should take on. He also tells Capernaum later that if, if Sodom had had the miracles done in Capernaum, then Sodom would still be here today. And so he warns, he says, in the day of judgment, Capernaum, this is in Luke 10 and in Mark eleven twenty three. 23, you would be brought down low, Capernaum, because of the miracles that had been done in Sodom that were done in Capernaum, Sodom would still be here today. So there's a warning. Watch out when you become familiar with signs and wonders and miracles because if it becomes commonplace, we have to continue to embrace this thing. Now, those who say, well, healing's not for... I got... I was... My wife and my daughter were saying, my Lord, I, literally, I got these studies on the new Reformation and signs and wonders and those who are cessationists. There's a... Major teaching, you can look this up, between the cessationists of those that says the gifts of the, of the Holy Spirit, healings, casting out demons, those things ceased when the prophets died, when the apostles died. And then the continuationism 
folks, which we, I put ourselves in that category, believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and well today and that the healings and the miracles and the prophecies still take place, and, and we back it up with Scripture. If you exegete it, I'm telling you, you, you can't just read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, 15, right? And just, you, you know, anyway. But listen to this. It says, and Bishop shared some of this Sunday, uh, Wednesday, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Hebrews 13, 8. James 1, 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of changing. So if he's the same, John 14, where Jesus is getting ready to go away, he turns in John 14, 12, and he says, greater works shall you do because I go to my Father, right? You shall do the works I've done. So what did Jesus do? That's why in, Matthew, in Mark 16, he can say, if you're a believer, there needs to be some evidence of your belief system. There needs to be demons being cast out, healings going on. You need to be able, able to handle deadly things without harm. That may look like you go into a mission field and there's a warlock there who's come with five blood dead sacrifice. Folks have said, we're going to kill you and you're still alive. So this is this place where we need to get into the place. In, we got to get this word on the inside. We got to keep reading it and understand this is for, this is for today. Now, signs and wonders. Well, the uh, cessationists, they don't like the signs and wonders stuff. Lying signs and wonders. Really? How about this? Hebrews 2, verse 4. God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit wherever he chose. Mark 16, 20. And the disciples went everywhere, preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Acts 14, 3. This is way after the, some of the apostles. The Lord proved their message was true by giving them the power to do miraculous signs and wonders. So, look, I'm, we're not, we don't worship the signs and wonders, but there needs to be some evidence of it. Amen? So now, back to your outline. Let's look at some modern day stuff that we need to test. Remember I told you, don't, don't, sti don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecy. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. These are all, in fact, that word stifle out of 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't stifle the gift of prophecy. That word stifle is don't put the fire out. There's some real warning stuff that goes on. Let's continue. Look at um, verse 6 is we know that faith comes by hearing. Number five there in your outline, the connection between faith and acts of faith, sins being forgiven. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we know that sickness is of the devil, right? That's why in 1 John 3, 8, Jesus said, I've come to destroy the works of the devil. And we're supposed to go and do likewise. So we know that sickness comes from, spirits of infirmity come from the devil. But here we are, when someone has an infirm spirit, or they're, they're sick, they're, things happen, people get injured, and yet we know that there's some pattern in Mark 11, have faith in God, right? Say to this, while you pray believing, you shall have them, forgive the offense so that your sins can be forgiven, so I'm not saying that all sins are the result of sickness, but there is something about sin that's involved in this. And does that delay 
Does doubt and fear. Again, this is part of the mystery of it. God is not, you know, some push button where you just put it in the formula and it works. Right? There are a realm of all things are possible, he says in Mark 9. So this is this place where there is a connection with sinfulness and faith depends on who's carrying it. Jesus saw the faith of the guys ripping the roof apart. In another case, in the woman with the issue of blood and the woman with uh, the guy with Jairus, the ruler, whose daughter's dead, he says, don't be afraid, have faith in God. So there's this individual faith and then there's Faith in a room. That's why sovereign breakouts of healings. I've told you about what happened with us in Brazil and Manaus in the Amazon. When, that, when, that's, when the Holy Spirit fell in that room, we didn't have to lay hands on anybody. Deaf mutes started speaking. The blind eyes opened. The tumors, my wife will testify, the tumor fell out of the woman right there on the floor in front of us. Right? So it's like there was nobody praying. There was a sovereign move of God, but there was enough faith in the room to cause that thing sovereignly to tear open heaven and come down. So God is not some push button. It's, there's, a, there's conditions associated, but as we press in believing that we're going to see more, we're going to see more, have faith in God. Now, there's a last day warning, number nine there. They'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power. You know, if you want to avoid controversy, just be seeker-sensitive and don't do anything weird. Too late, I know. Yeah, well, we, and I'm not trying to, we're not trying to be weird for the sake of being weird, okay? Even though he says you're a peculiar people. He, he says that, right? But when the Holy Spirit starts, you know, there's just strange things in the book. You got men getting out of boats, walking on water. You got axe heads floating that are not supposed to float, right? You got... Uh, Guys being blinded when they surround Gehazi and the, the prophet, right? Uh, there's people listening, the prophet's listening in the bedroom of the king, know, knowing all his war strategies. I mean, when you st- if you were to tell that to somebody in the secular world, they would probably want to analyze you a little bit. So, we're not looking to be weird, but guess what? God sometimes will test you to the point where, that looks really strange, Lord. Is that really you? You want me to do What? Right? And so, last day warnings. There'll be those that'll have a form of godliness. They'll look the part, but there's no power in it. Be careful. Stay away from them. Right? And so, let's look at some modern day examples and then we'll close on this. Um, This is, I got this email this week from a lady in another country. Actually, I got her permission last night to share it. She's from Canada. Um, She said, Good evening, Pastor Tom. This was March 2nd. I hope you're doing great. Um, I'm Lisa Moore's friend from Canada. I'm on spring break this weekend. I thought, what a better way, best way to spend my break than to do an in-step, in-depth study of Breaking Free. You know, the books out there, we have a Breaking Free ministry. And so anyway, uh, so we have the DVDs, we have the book, right, and all that. We have a ministry manual that our ministry team studies. Last Friday night, one of my friends invited me to her church prayer meeting, and about a halfway through, the, I asked her, to pray over my asthma. I've had asthma all my life that has landed me in the hospital as a child a few times. I got super sick last year, and since then it's been acting up really bad to the point of me having to use my inhaler and even put Vicks VapoRub under my nose to help me to breathe every day for the last few months. So at church I asked my friend to pray over my asthma, and the moment her hand touched my back, I took the clearest breath 
I've had in years. Anyone with asthma, listen up. Faith is now rising. I have never actually seen or experienced healing like that, and I was amazed. Later that night, we were going over a Bible study, and I looked at her, and I said, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we went down to the sanctuary, and we started praying, and half of it was in tongues, which I had never heard before in person before that night, but it didn't seem weird to me at all. The next thing I knew, I was repenting for probably everything I've ever done in my life, and I was praising Jesus in His name. And apparently, I fell down a few times. And then I started speaking in tongues. Overall, it was an amazing experience. I felt so great. I could run a marathon at 1130 at night, and I still feel great. Praise the Lord. Lisa sent me the book, Breaking Free. I've got the teaching series from DVDs a few months. I'm doing that. Can you please send me the ministry manual? And uh, we did. We are. So that's a modern-day one where, and this, this young lady has been being discipled uh, by Lisa and connected and uh, just studying, desiring, hungry. Well, let me, I have one here, and obviously I won't share a whole lot of it. Um, power evangelism on short-term missions. Todd, uh, Todd Ricky, and that's uh, Jan and Terry's son. He went on a mission trip with us. Do you remember what year that was, Terry? Till we went to Manaus, Brazil. I, I don't remember either, but um, it, it was a it was an amazing mission trip. In, that, in those days, you'd fly thirty hours, go to São Paulo, then go to the Amazon, back up, get off the plane, get a few minutes, put a little water on your face, and go to the church we're ministering. And so we were like worn out. <laughs> and and uh, we get to this church. This is the church that miracles had been happening. The year before, the walls of the church, the one I told you about, weren't on there, and the, the, the wind started misting in during the dry season, and the deaf mutes and signs and wonders, it was just crazy. That word went out, and that church grew to over 10,000. And now they've invited Randy back, and here's this ministry team. We arrive there, and uh, so we're lined up, and all of a sudden, Randy says, well, we're going to pray for the sick. So they line up in front of us, and I don't know how many are in front of each one, a bunch. And Todd is there, and this is Todd's first trip, and he's like, I'm really nervous, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I can hold the coats, and, and I'm like, yeah, right, you're going to get surrounded, and you're not going to have any. Anyway, so Todd's there, and uh, we're praying, and over the corner of my we see all of a sudden these guys come in, four guys come in carrying a paraplegic in a wheelchair. They've got the wheelchair in the crowd, and they're carrying their friend. And here he comes, and they plop him down in front of Todd. And Todd goes, oh, great. I was hoping for headaches, you know. And Todd said, it's... it's Randy's got it in one of in his in his stuff here. Anyway, he said he started praying and he was so tired. He said he started to fall asleep standing up. And he thought, well, I'll just pray for this guy one more time and then I'll bless him and send him on his way. And as he starts to pray, all of a sudden the guy jumps out of the wheelchair. Amen. Come to find out, he was a drug dealer and two years prior he was shot. The bullet still lodged in the spine, and he had lost all ability. They couldn't get the bullet out because it would have damaged more, so they left it in there, and they plopped him down to the least expecting, but we're in a room of faith, and we're under cover of those who had believed. There was enough faith, and the four guys carrying him, they had faith. 
And the next day, they got the guy up on stage walking, and everybody that knew him was like, and they got the woman up whose tumor fell out on the ground, <laughs> and they're saying, it was like, wow, God is here. And so, there's something about faith looks like something. Those were two modern-day examples of God. Now, is that good, signs and wonders? Faith grew in the room. That church, the walls blew out of that place to the point where that whole region of Manaus, we went three times there. So I just want to encourage you that as we look at what God is doing among us here, and this desire, I wonder, we're not going to spend any time on it, but I wanted you to see, um, I had a dream Sunday night after the prophecy last Sunday. I put the prophetic word that we got as a church on the back of your outline so that we can pray into it. Last Sunday at the end of an amazing weekend, Chantel Wood gave this prophetic word. Global River Church is a regional apostolic training center to different churches for training others. It is a safe place for leaders to come and be built up and supported in the community of North Carolina. Leaders in this house are anointed to pull down out of sex trafficking. There is a home to fight this. Those leaders are here. And then she gave a call, said, if that's you, why don't you come? I didn't count it, but somewhere around 20 came to the front, and there was actually seed money placed for the house. So, Sunday night, Monday morning, I have a dream. And in my dream, I hear this. It's on the bottom of the front page there. Prepare as if you already have it. And I'm like, Lord, I wake up. You know, I, I just kind of heard that in my sleep state. Prepare as if you already had it. Prepare as if you already had it. And I wake up and I kind of, well, I know that was, that was not me. <laughs> Wasn't my pizza from last night because I'm on a carb-free diet. And so, and so I, I, I said, Lord, I know that's you, but I have no idea what you mean. Right? So he gave me this revelation. He said, if you were inviting people over and you're going to cook a steak but you don't have the steak. You'd set the table, get the spices out, tune up the grill, get everything ready, it's all set, but I don't have the main meal. But I'm prepared because it's coming. And so we're preparing. What we're doing on Wednesdays, what we're, on men's group and the ladies in the women's group, we're I'm getting hair standing up again. We are preparing, right? Remember in the prepare for rain? <laughs> prepare for rain. Because I believe the Lord is going to do something. There, I had two prophetic words. People who had dreams and people who have come see me says, something is getting ready to go down. Something is getting ready. Some of it's pretty scary. It's getting really dark in certain places. But where the lighthouses are, in fact, we've got some people up on the Outer Banks today, a couple of couples, and they're praying against the Barbary Pirates who came, I had no idea what the history of the Barbary Pirates are. Do you know we went to war against the Barbary Pirates? I didn't know that. Anyway, they're up there declaring because there were thousands, maybe over hundreds of thousands of slaves taken by the Barbary Pirates. And so this whole slave trafficking, this spirit has existed in various forms over the, so sex trafficking is the latest, slavery was another. So we're, we're, they're standing. We're taking back the land. They're making preparation. They heard this morning, we're supposed to go stand and take back the land, break this spirit 
that is out there. And so, okay. So let's stand. And um, I'm going to invite the ministry team. You know who you are. You've been trained there. You've been released by the, by the church. You'll come. Bring your mask in case you need to really play, pray close to someone. They want to share something very private with you that will not be shared with anyone else. But we want to prepare because we do already have the kingdom. But there's going to be manifestations of the kingdom. First, I want to pray this. One of the warnings is there's some things that are going to be really hard that are coming down. And again, I'm not scoffing at prophecy. I'm testing it. But I also know the promise. In Revelation, it says, chapter 3 says, because you have persevered, persevered against what? Suffering, troubles, trials. Some of you are walking through some really hard ones right now. We've all had them. Because you have persevered and believed me, I will keep you from what is coming on the whole earth to test it. There is a covering. You want to know about the shelter of the Most High? Psalm 91, those who live in that sheltered place shall find rest. Be still and know that I'm God. They shall find rest under the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare of the Lord, that He and He alone is my sheltered place, my refuge. And none of these evils shall befall your dwelling place. Even the stuff that comes in the daytime or the sickness that creeps at night. He springs the snare of the fowler. He goes before you things you can't even see. You may see thousands dying to the left and right, but none of these evils shall befall your dwelling place. We believe God. We understand what you said. Send the angels to take up their positions in the ramparts over our loved ones. Go pursue them. Cover them in the blood of Jesus, standing under the covering of the Most High. God, we pray now that you would prepare each individual heart. Prepare as if it's coming. Be prepared. Don't be caught unawares. Luke 21, Mark 13, Matthew 24, over and over again. Watch out. Be ready. When you see these things, be ready. Don't be caught unawares. Do not be caught unaware. Get into the sheltered place of the righteousness of Christ. He and He alone is our salvation resting place. God, we thank You that Your promises are yes and amen. So, Lord, we pursue you. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We want to do it orderly, but we want to pursue you. We want to be in abandonment after you. So we thank you, God. Raise up. Raise up the living stones. First Peter 2. Let the living stones that are being built in the temple of God. You are a holy priesthood, a royal nation. So start being the priesthood. Start being the royalty that God has already called us to. That's already been given. Start behaving. Faith looks like something.